It's Thursday, July 23rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill with me today, Ian Gray and Ryan Henderson. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Yeah, great to be here, Chris. Uh, we got earnings season heating up. We have the latest from Chipotle and Microsoft, but we're going to start with Twitter. Yes, they lost money in the second quarter. Uh, revenue was lower than expected, but stick with me here on this metric. Monetizable daily active users up 34%, and that is what bo- is boosting Twitter's stock today. And Ryan, let's face it, Twitter needed a win after that hack last week, and they got it. Yeah, they really did. You you hit it on the head there. They missed expectations on both the top and bottom line, and yet the stock was up 5%. Um, and that that's because at the end of the day, it's it's a media platform and people really care about demand aggregation and that's what they got. Um, average monetizable de- daily active users jumped 34%, like you said, to 186 million. Um, I think some of that was attributable to the COVID environment and maybe people looking for news. I know a lot of people get their news through Twitter. Um, but yeah, revenue is down 19%. That was reflecting a decrease in advertising demand, operating loss of 124 million. I'm curious um, if there's, if maybe this decrease in ad demand is more of a microcosm for the whole ad tech space. I think this might be an indicator for some of the future earnings that we're going to see. But yeah, I, I guess investors cared about the daily active users. And there's obviously, uh, as a Twitter user, the ad, the ads that I get are not great. There's a lot of room to improve. Um, but at the end of the day, it starts by owning the demand and then the monetization levers, the way you choose to make money can come at the end. And I know on the conference call, Dorsey mentioned something about trying out possible subscriptions. Um, I believe they said there wouldn't be any subscription revenue for the 2020 fiscal year, but they're going to have to try to pull some other levers in terms of how they make money because it seems like ads just aren't cutting it for that platform. Yeah, it's interesting to me how a given business's job site where they post the jobs that they're hiring for can set off, you know, sort of alarm bells, essentially. We saw this a couple of years ago with Netflix, where net basically the way we found out Netflix was going to start um, producing swag, essentially based on their intellectual property, was because they had posted a job on their site. And, you know, as you mentioned, CEO Jack Dorsey sort of having to address the fact that they had posted a job having to do with um, essentially a, a, someone who would manage a subscription business. So I think, I think Dorsey did a good job of sort of tamping down expectations there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this is, among other things, this is a, a sign of just how, I don't want to say dependent, because I think that's a little too strong a word, but Twitter misses live events. Twitter misses live sports and concerts and that sort of thing. I mean, that is, you know, the that's a big category for them that drives engagement. And you know, you look at the the results this quarter; they're missing live events. Yeah, and I just to add on to that, Chris, um, that's a huge thing, particularly for the ad revenue. You know, they're showing that their daily active users can be resilient despite that. But the story for Twitter is all about monetization. You know, for this quarter, they only generated about three dollars a person and ad revenue. Um, and you think about how much time people spend on Twitter, um, versus some of these other things in our lives, like, you know, Netflix, going to dinner, 
going, using the gym, listening to music, right? The, the amount of money that they're generating for the amount of time that people are spending on the platform is really not very much. Um, so the story, whether it's through subscriptions like they floated or through some other kind of more creative, um, profit or uh, cash flow generating, uh, streams, they need to figure out ways to generate more revenue. Yeah. And to touch on that, Ian, they, uh, they've sort of built this incredible platform and it's almost a double-edged sword because it's gotten so good that ads detract from the experience. It's not like a Pinterest platform where you go there and you're almost expecting to receive ads and you look forward to them. Like when I'm scrolling through my timeline and I get an ad, I'm like, this is so irrelevant. I don't need this. It really detracts. Like it's this great idea sharing place where everyone goes and you spend so much time on it, but it's become so good that you don't want the ads. And so Twitter continues to be Twitter's own worst enemy for the time being. Well, it will be interesting to see if they can sort of uh, carry through over the next couple of quarters with what they did um, uh, on the increase of the monetizable daily active users. Let's move on to Microsoft. Fourth quarter revenue came in north of $38 billion. And once again, Ian, Microsoft's cloud business is getting it done. Yeah, for sure, Chris. Um, the cloud revenue for the first time ever for the fiscal year crossed $50 billion, which is over a third of uh, total revenue for Microsoft, which if you told someone that a few years ago, I think it would have blown their minds. Um, you know, at the story today, the stock's down a little bit on, on the quarter. Um, and the story today is really uh, it's Azure platform. The revenue growth was 47%, which sounds amazing that it is, but um, last quarter it was up 49 or 59% year over year. And this is the first time that Azure revenue growth year over year has been below 50%. So um, I think there's some concern about how much of that trend might continue. Um, clearly 47% revenue growth is very high. I think there's just a little bit of concern about the deceleration um, from that 59%. So it'll be interesting to see whether that was impacted by um, just decreased in cloud spend from companies and trying to kind of conserve some cash during this period or whether um, that's a trend that'll continue as we um, continue to move through this pandemic and out of the pandemic. Um, it also just, you know, Microsoft is such a big company, has its hand in so many things. Um, some kind of highlights from the quarter is Professionals watched, um, if you remember, uh, Microsoft owns LinkedIn, which also has this LinkedIn learning platform. And uh, on the call, the CEO said that professionals watched nearly four times the amount of LinkedIn learning content than they did a year ago. Um, so they're seeing a huge explosion. In, Gee, uh, I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And professional development and people have time on their hands. And so they're trying to learn new skills and they really are being able to capitalize on that. Um, they're trying to kind of uh, tie that in with their team's platform and be able to uh, generate some kind of good workflows through um, some learning environments. Um, and then it's also saw record monetization in gaming, which again, shouldn't be any surprise to anyone given the environment we're in. But, uh, you know, we were just talking about the Twitter revenue streams and how they need to figure out some ways to di diversify. Microsoft has that down. They have their hand in so many things and are continuing to drive impressive growth across the entire company. Yeah, no, they certainly are. Um, I think Satya Nadella mentioned on, uh, their conference call. Um, it was simply a breakthrough quarter for gaming. Xbox content and services grew 65 revenue from Xbox content and services grew 65% year over year. That also carries with it some interesting implications for other gaming businesses as well. What are we going to see from EA uh, companies, even like Nintendo, Activision, Blizzard? I'm curious 
if we're going to see a boost just a on time that's spent playing their games and then also maybe in revenue as well. Um, you know, Ian, you mentioned Microsoft teams, uh, it is interesting to see the, um, let's just call it an evolution, um, in the, uh, competitive landscape with, uh, Slack's recent action, um, in the EU, uh, filing, I think an antitrust or basically accusing Microsoft of anti-competitive practices, um, being as old as I am, it sort of uh, was a nice throwback to uh, the late 90s, early 2000s, um, when uh, Microsoft was was fighting uh, a similar type of battle for its operating system. But, you know, this, uh, I don't know, we, we were talking earlier today, I, I, I sort of feel like that was probably the right move for Slack. It also isn't great in terms of optics. And I, and I, I say that realizing that there are times in business where you just have to ignore the optics of how something looks and just focus on what it actually is. That said, I'm just, I'll just speak for myself. My gut reaction when I saw Slack filing that lawsuit was, was basically about the optics. Like, wow, that seems like maybe that's the right thing to do, but it seems, um, it seems like they're uh, inadvertently concerned about their the strength of their platform relative to Microsoft Teams. Yeah, I think you're exactly right on that, Chris. It's the for years Slack has tried to say that Microsoft Teams isn't a real competitor. They're not really in the same space. It's not the same type of product. It's not as good of a product. Um, and everyone's kind of just always kind of nodded along and said, okay, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, what we're seeing is Slack does actually consider them as a competitor and this is showing the strength of teams, right? It's a, um, by rolling it out to all their users, Microsoft has really given people an opportunity to test it out. And, and a lot of people are finding that teams works better and integrates with all their, um, existing software better. And, uh, Slack has some, you know, it's going to be a major battle over these next few years to see which one of these two really comes out on top. And there may be space for both of them, but, um, it definitely seems like uh, Teams is on the up and up and has a little bit of a, uh, uh, at least has Slack's attention at the moment. Right. And it's not even just shareholders that are saying, well, you know, Teams isn't really a competitor. I, I believe CEO and I think founder of Slack on one of the earlier conference calls this year mentioned that he doesn't really see Teams as a competitor. That's okay until you file an anti-competitive lawsuit because you're basically going, going back on what you said. And so, um, it's, it's not a good look and you're right. The optics of it aren't, aren't, aren't bright for Slack. Yeah. Right. I mean, let's be clear and I'm not picking on Slack. I like Slack. I use Slack. Um, but they didn't file an anti-competitive lawsuit against Starbucks. Okay. They, they filed it against Microsoft. Um, let's move on to Chipotle and on the surface, a little bit of a weird second quarter report for Chipotle. Let me just throw two numbers out. Digital sales up more than 200%, and yet same-store sales still down nearly 10%. Uh, Ryan, you tell me, what stood out to you in Chipotle's quarter? Yeah, you're, you're right. Um, people have said recently that crisis, crises accelerate the inevitable. Well, in Chipotle's case here, I'm going to say that a crisis here surpassed their inevitable. Um, they were, like you said, 60, well, 
digital sales up 216% and digital sales now make up 61% of overall sales. I imagine that somewhere in the future that comes back down to around 50-50. But over the years leading up to this, they spent tons of money enhancing their digital experience instead of repurchasing shares or just hanging on to cash. And now we're starting to see the the benefits of that come to fruition. but yeah, it is, it's, it's tough because there's less people coming into the stores, but I, I think that digital sales and create, I think they had 15, they now have 15 million total rewards members. And keep in mind that was launched 15 months ago. I mean, there's a lot of good benefits coming from that online aspect. Um, Liquidity is not an issue at all. Uh, and the other part, and this is more of a macro thing for, restaurants as a whole. There was a study done a few months back where it basically studied small businesses and the solvency or the liquidity of each sector. And restaurants had the least amount of cash buffer days. I think it was like 16 days. And so I'm curious if on the back end coming out of this pandemic, I know there's obviously been the government lending and whatnot. Um, how many of those smaller mom and pop restaurants are going to suffer and we're going to see customer consolidation to these larger franchises that have a lot more capital to survive. Yeah, I think you're right. We had um, David Henkes um, from Technomic on Motley Fool Money earlier this month uh, and the updated numbers that he and his team, I mean, we're talking one of the top restaurant, if not the top restaurant and a food and beverage analyst in the country, the updated numbers that he and his team uh, are putting together for what things are going to look like in the restaurant industry at the end of 2020 are more bleak than they were three months ago. So um, it definitely is an opportunity for the Chipotles of the world. And, you know, the investments that they're making, they're always going to be shareholders out there, both individual shareholders and institutional shareholders, um, who will always be pushing for more buybacks. It's really hard to make the argument that Chipotle, in terms of their capital allocation, hasn't been doing the right thing in terms of the investments they make. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, They've made some incredible investments and, and like Ryan said, really just set themselves up to really succeed and thrive in this situation. Uh, You know, just to give a couple of the comments that Brian Nichols made. He's, he, he sees the long-term vision that they can more than double the number of uh, Chipotle restaurants in the U S which is really impressive considering the growth they've already seen. Um, and it's seeing this, this is a real opportunity, um, with less competition because of, you know, some restaurants going out of business here in the next few months, it sees less competition, uh, for high quality sites as well. Um, that they're going to be able to get some kind of more prime real, real estate and really have, uh, great locations. They've recently pledged to hire 10,000 new workers. They're just, they're making all the investments previously and they're making all the investments today to continue to just, um, use this as a leapfrog to kind of the next phase of growth for Chipotle. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not a shareholder of Chipotle, but if I was, I would like to see them spending money and sort of trying to grow aggressively now. Like I know, you know, you're going to see a lot of restaurants that struggle on the back end of this. This is a time to gain a lot of market share, um, try to increase that store count, work on the Chipotle lanes, stuff like that. The operating margin expands as more goes digital. There's a lot of good things that could come out of this for Chipotle. And just allocate just a tiny bit more into making the queso better. 
That's the queso. It's just, it's not where it needs to be, people. It's just not. Um, I'll just wrap up. In terms of like the last two companies we've talked about, Microsoft, Chipotle, both stocks down a little bit today. Microsoft shares up nearly 30% year to date. Chipotle up 35% year to date. I mean, for anyone who doesn't own these companies and is thinking, ah, oh, it'd be nice to get them at a slightly cheaper price, today's your day for that. Um, before we wrap up, and Ryan, I'll just go to you first. Just um, every week on Motley Fool Money, we do stocks on our radar. Let's end there. Give me, give me a stock um, that is on your radar that I should know about. Yeah, a company I've been looking at, they are not public yet, but they did file their S1. It's called Procore. They provide workflow software for the construction industry. And if you know anything about like construction management, it's highly fragmented. And so there's a lot of different stakeholders on every project. Each stakeholder has a bunch of different projects going on at once. And so somehow they've all got to stay connected. And that's where Procore comes in. And you can't just it's such a unique landscape. You can't just add some typical workflow software. So you have to be very specialized. Procore does that. They aren't profitable, but they, uh, they had 289 million in full year revenue for 2019. Uh, and they're growing at about 55% year over year with 82% gross margins. Uh, any sense of when in 2020 they are aiming to go public? Is it later this quarter or is it more like Q4? They said still before the end of the year, but they recently took another uh, private round of $150 million, I think a $5 billion valuation. So they are uh, they recently delayed, it, but they did say still end of the year. Um, that's kind of their target. They have filed their S1. Yes, correct. Great. Ian, what about you? Yeah, so Blackline, ticker symbol BL is a stock that I've been looking at recently. It's the market leader in automating accounting practices. So basically it will go on top of your existing accounting software and create workflows, automatically match, match transactions uh, for bank reconciliation. It helps speed up the financial close each month. They say that it can be up to 70% faster than the traditional close. So it just saves accountants and finance departments a lot of time in closing the books each month. Um, it really has a goal of eliminating the ad hoc spreadsheets that are used to close the month and save accounting teams time and headaches running around the office, trying to find receipts and uh, check in on people. Um, it's has many other qualities that we love at the Motley Fool. It generates free cash flow. It's a subscription based platform with high gross margins, about 80%. Uh, it has high revenue growth, uh, about 28% for the last 12 months. Uh, and it's founder led. It's founder is actually a really interesting person. Uh, her name is Therese Tucker. She's uh, somewhat known for her pink hair. Um, I'd really recommend kind of looking her up and watching some interviews of her. She's a really interesting leader. Um, it has a market cap of about $5 billion, but the CEO makes comments uh, from time to time that every company in the world should have its software. Um, and it really targets companies that have $50 million and up in revenue, which makes sense because lower than that, it's hard to justify the software. But at that point, it really does seem like they have a great value proposition. It speeds up the um, the accounting processes and just gives really generates more time for the accounting departments and saves, um, generates ROI and saves time for everybody involved. All right. Ian Gray, Ryan Henderson, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, for thanks having so much us. for having us, Chris. 
As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this episode of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.